Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Spa Strong Podcast. I'm Royal. I'm Melissa. And this is episode 17. And we have an amazing special guest with us today. She's awesome. Yes, we have the pleasure of chatting with Natalie Warren. Natalie is a licensed esthetician um, and owner of Skinspiration in Campbellsville, Kentucky, which is the central Kentucky area. Natalie, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh my gosh, thank you guys so much for having me. I am just, like I've told you, I'm obsessed with you guys. And I'm just so excited to be on the Spa Strong podcast and just chat it up with you guys. Um, it means a lot to be here. Thank you. Thank it you. means so much to us that you would be here. And I think that the very first voice message you said, that's how you led. I am obsessed with you guys. Yeah, <laughs> so literally, literally, yeah. I literally missed. As soon as I found the page, I probably scrolled on it for about a whole five seconds, and I was like, "Oh my god, I love this!" Like, yeah. And I messaged uh, Melissa, and I was like, "Okay, so I want to be friends. Um, I love everything you're doing. This saved my life. Like all this, all this different stuff." Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with y'all's content. I think it's so, so informative, so awesome. And before we even get started, girl, I have to hand you the book, oh. the magic. Thank you. Thank you so much for writing that. Like, uh, I'm sure that everybody listening and just, you know, everyone just around, like, in the aesthetics industry is so grateful for that. And if you haven't read the book, Boundaries and Aesthetics, just stop whatever you're doing, pause, pause this podcast, and go order it um, because it is crucial to have, um, especially if you're a business owner um, or just a solo esthetician or anything, you need to read this book. Um, so I just, I have to say thank you so much for that. I just really, really commend both of you guys for, um, what Spa Strong is and the, the, the space that it's holding, like in our industry. I think it's so needed. Thank you so much. Yes, Natalie. Thank you. That means so much to us. And I'm so glad you love the book. Like it, it truly came from my heart and Royal put his love into it as well. And so thank you so much for yeah. that. Um, we, uh, we are dying to hear about you and how, tell us how you got into aesthetics and, um, tell us a little bit about Skinspiration for our listeners who maybe don't know, um, your story yet. Yeah, 100%. So, um, if you can't tell based off my accent yet for all the people listening, um, I am from, uh, Campbellsville, Kentucky. Basically, I grew up in a really small town my whole life. And it was a town where everybody knew each other. And really, there wasn't a lot of, like, luxurious stuff, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I kind of grew up, you know, my mom was a hairstylist. My grandmother was a hairstylist. And so was my great-grandmother. I actually just posted them on my on Instagram today for because today is International Women's Day. Yes. Which is yes. Today we're recording this. I know. I saw that picture. Day. But, yeah, so... Um, I, if I had went to cosmetology school and became a cosmetologist, I would have been like a fourth generation hairstylist, which would have been awesome. But I was like, I'm going to be different. And I was like, I'm going to be an esthetician. Okay. So basically to make a long story really, really short, when I you know, was 18, I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Like I was so confused. I knew that I didn't want to go to college because I hated high school and I really just did not have a good time in my teenage years. Like I just didn't care about school. And, you know, towards the end of high school, I kind of started you know, getting into a little bit of trouble. And so I graduated 
and I kind of just, you know, took off and I spent a year, I traveled a little bit. I got the opportunity to go to like countries in the Middle East, like Egypt and Israel and wow. like Turkey. I got to go to like some really cool places and just kind of see the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, would, and I was just kind of on like a little like eat, pray, love journey, like trying to figure out, you know, what I ultimately wanted to do. And, you know, New Year's Eve of 2018, I had gotten into a, a little bit of trouble and it was like a really crazy experience. And throughout this crazy experience, I remember thinking like, God, like if you get me out of this, I will move to Nashville, which is like two hours away from my little town. Um, I will, you know, become an esthetician. Like I will do, you know, better for myself. Like I will do all the things that I said I was going to do. And and obviously, you know, I moved to Nashville. I, you know, I applied at Aveda Institute Nashville, which was so awesome. You know, I really, I really, really recommend that school if you are in like in Tennessee or Kentucky. Um, I think that they produce some amazing estheticians, and I'm, I'm really grateful for my education because the school's hard. Like anybody who's been to esthetician school, cosmetology school, like they'll tell you, like school is it, it's rough, and it's you know, it's it's not the hardest part of your career, but it's a hard start, like getting your boards and like just the information that they cram into such a small time, like it's really, really stressful. So yeah. while I was in aesthetic school, I was a brow artist um, for my friend uh, Rosemary and we did like threading and stuff like that, which was like a separate license in Kentucky. So that's like how I could do it while I like, wasn't a licensed esthetician. Um, so I was living in Nashville and going to school five days a week and then I would turn around and drive two hours after school on Thursday and wake up Friday, work all day Friday, work all day Saturday. Saturday night, I would drive back down. I had one day off on, like, Sunday. And I did that for almost, like, a year. And then finally, you know, I graduated. I got my license. And I I just, like, I had the opportunity to move back to my town. And nobody even knew, like, let me mind you, no one even knew what an esthetician was, <laughs> like, where I'm from. Like, my dad, when I told him I wanted to become an esthetician, he was like, so you want to like put people to sleep? Like <laughs> it was like like nobody understood, and I think that you know there was definitely a lot of like not backlash or anything, but there was a lot of like doubt. Like it's like okay, is this a good career field? Like is this you know right to spend all this money on school and make this life decision? Like is this something that's going to be sustainable for you? So I kind of dealt with a little bit of that, you know, from some family members, um, but. But the people who were closest to me, like my mom, my best friend Rosie, who owns Brows and Beauty Company, shout out to her. She is like my best friend, and we are both in the beauty industry, and we both like just support each other so, so much. So I was working for her as a brow artist, like throughout, you know, this time. And she actually got the opportunity to buy a building and open up her own storefront. And she was like, you know, I'm going to kind of do like a salon suite situation. Um, you should come rent a suite and open up like a skincare business. And at first, I was like, girl, I was like, how are we going to convince these people, like, like, you know what I mean, like, to get facials and all this stuff? And she was like, no, like, you know, what you offer is so valuable, and, like, women, like, need this. And, and I truly believe that as well. So to, to make a long story short, I moved back to uh, Camelsville, Kentucky. I, you know, opened Inspiration. It was just me, you know, inside, you know, one little room inside my friend's business. And, you know, fast forward, we've just, you know, we've grown so much in such a short amount of time. And it's honestly been such a blessing. And I'm so, so grateful for all my clients and my community for supporting me and just, and all, everyone who I've met, like through social media, um, like you guys and 
just the connections that I've made. Like, we have an amazing industry. And so now, like, fast forward, like, you know, Skinspiration is, is, a, is a booming business. Um, I'm so, so blessed to say that, you know, we now have, I have five employees working beneath me. We're in the process of opening up our first Skinspiration location. It's going to be in my hometown of Campbellsville, Kentucky. It's on Main Street. It's in this, uh, it's in an 108-year-old building. Um, which is crazy and it kind of like speaks to just like restoring like old places and stuff like that but so right now as of now like I'm in the process of like moving into um, this location it's almost done hopefully we don't have any more mess ups with the construction because it has been a ride getting into this building but but yeah so that's kind of my story and where I'm at and and to answer your question because I kind of told my story but I didn't really tell, tell you what made me want to be an esthetician was like so many other people I struggled with horrible horrible hormonal acne um as a teenager and I started getting acne really really young really really young like nine or ten and it just proceeded throughout, you know, my teenage years, and it just killed my confidence. I it was all over. It, it was so severe. It was like grade four acne, and it was on, you know, my face, my chest, you know, my back, and it was so bad that I actually ended up having, having to go on Accutane, which is literally like the last, 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 last resort. And and I so I spent so much time in dermatologist offices and. And it was the same thing every time. And, and this is not like a diss to dermatologist offices. They 100% have like their place in the industry and not all of them are like this. Like I just want to preface this by saying that. But my experience was I would, you know, see a different doctor every time. And as soon as they would come in, it was like, okay, this is the medication we're going to put you on. And there really wasn't like, they would never look at my skin. They would never, you know, t like tell me like, okay, what are maybe some lifestyle things to do? Um, not once was a skincare routine even mentioned to me. And had my mom not kind of known, she didn't really know, but she kind of knew how to take care of her skin. Like, I wouldn't have even known how to wash my face. So, like so many people in this industry and just in the world we live in now, I learned so many of my skincare and beauty techniques from YouTube and from the internet. And some of it was good, and a lot of it was bad. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, did not have access to an esthetician. I didn't have access to a licensed skincare professional who was trained on how to help me with such a huge problem. And so when I was older, I found out that this was a career, and this was, like, you know, an actual thing that people could do. Like, people could actually just solely help people with their skin. I, I just knew that it was something that I wanted to do, and, and I went with it, and I, and I never looked back. And, and I really feel like I am living out my purpose now. So anyone who is listening to this and maybe you haven't made the jump to become an esthetician, just know that there's there's so much room in this industry for you. I think sometimes we think the, the industry is so oversaturated, and everybody has a face, y'all. Yeah. Just think about that. Like every single person has a face. Every single person, you know, has hair that you could like wax or, you know, like things like that. So, um, so yeah, it's it's an amazing industry, and I'm I'm so happy to be a part of it. And and I love connecting with people who really care about the industry. Like I feel like you guys do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Your story is so awesome. Um, I I love that you you have personal experience with. You know, with acne, obviously, I don't love that you had to go through that, but now I'm sure that that benefits your career so much because you've been there, you know what that's like, but also you have been a girl struggling with acne and without resources, without having anybody that you could go to. And so 
I love that now you went back to your little town in Kentucky and you can be that person for, you know, so now the next girl who's struggling with, with acne or, you know, whatever issue in her skin and thinks she doesn't have any resources, you can be that resource for her. So she doesn't have to go 100%. through what you went through. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Cool question. Um, in your, in your, like, where you have your location, how many S like esthetician, like renters, like other studios? Yeah. Like other studios are near you. Oh, how many other estheticians in general? Yeah. Other, yeah is, is it like, are you like one of the only ones in your little small town? I'm one of the only ones, but there definitely are other estheticians in the area. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard. Where, if anybody who's listening to this is from Kentucky, they're kind of going to know what I mean. Where I live, like, it's pretty, like, a rural, like, like you know, area, but there absolutely are um, other, you know, beauty professionals in, in the industry, like, around me who, like, are doing, like, the same services and stuff like that. I just feel like no one has kind of taken it to the level that I did, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, I didn't, like, and this is a huge tip and one of the few things that if the listeners can take anything away from this episode, I really, really hope that one of, one thing is this. And that's the one thing that will hurt you as a small business is if you act like a small business and if you think like a small business. So I feel like the way that I kind of broadcasted and marketed my business, it draws people from so, so far. Like I'm so blessed to say that I have people who drive from like two hours away to come like and see me. Like, cause where I live, it's like two hours away from Louisville and two hours away from Lexington. We're really like an hour and a half from each. But, but having people drive from, like, places that are more populated where there are a ton of estheticians and there are, like, so many med spas and, you know, plastic surgeons offices and things, like, that kind of speaks, like, volumes to me of, and that's what I always tell my team, this lets me know that our branding and who we are is standing out amongst everybody. Yes. Okay, I just want to circle back to a couple things that you said. First of all, I love the wisdom behind it, like, not treating your small business like a small business because if you if you think small if you act small then you will be small people will see you as small and so even if you were just starting out you still need to act like you've been in business for years you still need to act like you expect people to take you seriously they need to respect your policies they need to respect your pricing like we have people talk to us pretty frequently they'll message us and say well i'm just new in the industry so I shouldn't charge industry standard prices yet, right? Or I'm just new in the industry, so I shouldn't implement a policy about X, Y, and Z, right? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Every successful business has policies, has procedures, presents itself like a successful business. And if you want your aesthetics practice to be the same, you need to treat it the same. Go ahead. Absolutely. I feel like you should act like a veteran, like Mm -hmm. you're a veteran enough. I'm, I'm real big on visualization. I don't know if I said this in another podcast, but I'm so huge on it. Pretty much like visualizing and go, um, how do, how do, how, how do I want to put it? The body will go where the mind has already been. Exactly. And so if you've already been visualizing, even though you're a small business, like visualize these customers, visualize your policies, visualize how you're going to react in certain situations, visualize right. your the growth, the growth right. then you've already been there, you know? So, yeah. so and not, yeah. yeah, and and I 100% you know agree with that, and, and that kind of gets us to like our first point, which is like some of the issues that you can you start out making as a solo institution. But um, but something crazy, like you know, we were talking about small businesses. We're blessed to live in a time where 
people really, I feel like, are supporting local and they're supporting like startups and they're supporting people who are just following their dreams. Like I think we're really, really blessed to live in a time where that's happening. But I just found this out the other day from like my like accountant situation. And did you did you all know that the listeners know that you are technically considered a small business until you're making a million dollars a year? A so million? just think about a million dollars a year. If you're if you are not making a million dollars a year, you are still considered a small business. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Oh my god. That's like yeah. That's wild. That's crazy. So so for all like girls and you know and, and men, there's men in this industry obviously too, mm. who are starting out and you're like you know. Nobody needs to take me seriously because I'm a small business. Just remember, like, like literally companies who are scaling like mid six figures, high six figures, like they're still they're still technically small businesses, but you won't see them having quote unquote small business policy. Right. And yet in the aesthetics industry, like we do kind of take on, which we're really gonna get into this and dive in deep, but we do kind of take on the idea of, well, we want to be friends with our clients. We want to have personal relationships with our clients, which is so important. I feel like to an extent, but that kind of leads into, you don't want to enforce policies with your friends. Sometimes like you don't want to be like, okay, girl, like you've no showed me two times. Like you, you have to pay a cancellation fee. Like that gets tricky. And that is why it is so, so important to have those policies and have those boundaries and to make sure that the client is aware of them before they book, and after they book, like make sure that is in their confirmation emails, that's in your text reminders, that they're aware of it, because you can't enforce a policy they didn't know about. Yeah. I think that's something really important to make sure of uh, too, as well. Absolutely. Um, but, but yeah, and I mean, and we were just talking about this before the podcast as well. But my first year as an esthetician, I was really, really loose with things, like because you know you want to be you want to be the cool esthetician, you know, like you don't want to. Doing, like, the business stuff sucks sometimes, you know what I mean? Doing, like, the things where you're, like, okay, like, you know, you you no-showed me or you, you know, canceled last minute or you used a gift card that, you know, was past its expiration date or whatever the case may be. And sometimes you just let that slip because it honestly is a representation of how you feel about yourself. Yes. Yep. Oh, my God. is, like, okay, well, I, you know, the I, my time. If you say this in the book, if not having a strong cancellation policy, I'm quoting it like it's Ephesians or something, but mm-hmm. not, having, <laughs> not having a strong cancellation policy literally shows your client that, one, you don't respect their time, and two, they don't need to respect your time, and it creates a state of chaos, yes. and that is something that I remember reading in your book, and I was like, oh, this is so true, and immediately after that, I was like, I was talking to my amazing spa director, Kayla. And we were like making some adjustments to our cancellation policy. So, so yeah, I think that's something that people can really, really benefit from. Just, just enforce policies like from the start. It's it's always easier to get looser than it is to get harder. That's mm-hmm. kind of like like remember when like you, you started school at the school year, your favorite teacher always started out the meanest and the strictest. But by the end of the school year, you always loved her because it's always easier to get looser than it is to get harder, like halfway through the year to enforce like stricter rules or like new seating arrangements or so. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just that kind of analogy. So that that is like a big piece of advice that I would I would recommend people who are new in the industry apply. Yeah. yeah and that's just like hitting. That's not even like really hitting the tip of the, tip of the iceberg because we can go deeper and say, well, you got to eat. Right. Let's not even forget right. about that. You have to eat. Right. You have to pay yeah. bills. You can't lose your studio. Yeah. 
Exactly. You know? And so yeah. if they're really 100%. like, I know it gets confusing. And like when you're trying to befriend like mm-hmm. your, your clients, but mm-hmm. if they're, if they're really going to be your friends, they know you have to live. Mm-hmm. 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 Exactly. Yeah. That was one thing. Uh, that, it's a mutual respect. Exactly. Okay. No, you're fine. I was really, really fortunate. I had a handful of clients too, in particular that they came to me for several years and then I was able to form really great friendships with them. Like one of them, we would go and have Sunday brunch almost every Sunday together. And uh, another one, anytime I go back to Salt Lake, I still see her every single time that I'm there. And we were able to create this friendship later on down the road because they had, we'd already paved the path of respect. Like they already respected my policies. They already respected my prices. And so there was this understanding, like nobody bought each other's meals when we would get together. Like we all still paid for ourselves. They all still were really, really respectful with, Hey, I'm going to be late. If you can fit me in great. If not, I'm happy to pay the fee. Like, and I know that I wouldn't have been able to maintain a friendship with them outside of work and a, a strong client esthetician relationship inside of work if I hadn't started, like, how did you say? Started out strict and then loosened up over time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I had to start out with strong policies and with strong prices and helping people. You teach people how to treat you. And treat, yeah. helping people understand, like, hey, this is a business. This is how we do things. But then as time went on, there was room for those friendships as well. But right. it had to start out strong. Yeah, and, and it's needed. And and I think we can all agree, personal relationships are so important. And yeah. if you have a client that comes to you consistently, like, you get really, really close. And that's a special, a really, really special bond that happens. And it's something to be valued. It's something to be protected. But just like you said, usually there'll always be that mutual respect there, and and I think it, it I think it almost like can't exist without that mutual respect because um, it, it's kind of like someone who cares about you is never going to do something that would potentially put you in harm, right. and that can apply to so many things like outside of just aesthetics, like just in life. But but I, I think that you know, like you said, like we we have bills to pay, you know, we have, like the rent is due, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, so 100%. I think that is so, so important. So something that I, we could also have been talking about before the podcast, and I know that you have experience in education and that you've been an aesthetics instructor before. I actually wanted to kind of ask you, why do you feel that some aesthetic schools almost teach, they almost, what's the word I'm looking for, they can, they can potentially give new estheticians a bad mindset we had talked about this before the podcast um sometimes Mm -hmm. like when i when i read you know your book and when i as i'm now you know changing policies and just kind of adjusting things like in other areas of my business i am realizing how the way that i was taught in school is almost to be so apologetic and to be it's almost a mindset of like it's and and i'm hoping i really really hope that the new especially people who are new in this industry can listen to this episode and really, really take something away. But there's almost like a sense of it's hard to get clients. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to build a clientele. I remember like hearing from estheticians who had been at a job for two years and it was a really nice establishment. Like, yeah, like I've worked here for two years. It's, it's hard for me to get rebookings. And it almost gives you this sense of fear 
And when you take on that sense of fear, sometimes it can affect how you handle situations because you're apologetic and you're constantly like apologizing, even when you're not doing anything wrong because a client is a client and you want to keep that client no matter what. So I know that you've been an instructor before. What do you kind of think about that? And what are ways that people can kind of shape that mindset of knowing that, you know, you need to be respected and that, like you said, like you need to have boundaries and have these policies in place. What, what are kind of your thoughts on that? Oh, I have so many thoughts about it. I would say when I was teaching in aesthetic school, one thing that I noticed, and I taught at a fantastic aesthetic school, it is a great facility, really, really good education. One thing though that I noticed is that not for me, because I had gone out and worked, I had my spa studio and everything when I came back and started teaching, but there were some instructors who went straight from graduating from that aesthetic school to working the front desk to becoming instructors and teaching. And they had not had experience actually working in spas. They had not had experience actually building a clientele. And so they were not equipped with the tools to inform students on how to do that. And so I think because they hadn't had that experience on their own, they had this natural assumption that it was really hard and like, oh, you better prepare yourself. Like it's a saturated industry. There's lots of estheticians out there. Like I was lucky to get a job at the front desk because it's really hard to find a good job. And, and that's not a fair lens to give to your students because these are, you know, these are people who just spent, you know, upwards of 10 to $20,000 to go to school to learn how to provide these services. And here you are oh, yeah. painting this picture that it's going to be really rough out there, y'all. So you better watch yes. yourself. And it's like, that's yeah. not how it is. And I think that part of it also goes back to accountability. As human beings, we naturally want the easiest route possible. That's just human nature. Yeah. We want things to go smoothly. We don't have to exert, our, we don't want to have to exert ourselves. We don't have to, we don't want to need to inconvenience ourselves or be uncomfortable. And so if we can blame outside forces on our inability to excel, then that makes us feel better about ourselves. And so I'm probably going to hurt some people's feelings. No, I'm just kidding. But, no, but, but see, not like it's, yeah, it's the truth. Like, exactly. Exactly. And so I think that there's this idea of, well, I'm not doing well in my business. So if I can blame it on the fact that it's, a saturated market, that people don't know enough about estheticians, so they're not willing to spend their money, that we're in a recession, that the president sucks, that um, I'm, I'm living in a community full of minorities, and so they're not going to be willing to pay for these things, or, you know, whatever the bullshit excuse is, Yeah. all that you're saying is that you don't want to look into yourself and figure out what it is that you are doing wrong. Because everybody yeah. in this industry has the potential and has the opportunity to create some something incredible. And it's whether or not you choose to put yourself out there, work hard, figure it out, try things, be willing to fail, and ignore the noise of people who are promoting that scarcity mindset and saying, oh, it's a tough industry. You can't make any money. This is going to be hard for you, blah, 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 blah. We actually, we just had Kimber Janes, who is the founder of Borboletta Beauty, come on the podcast. And we talked with her a little bit about this. And when I, so like five years ago, I was dating this guy who he knew about the 
aesthetics industry to some extent. And I was talking about how I was trying to, you know, grow my spa. And he, he was like a big entrepreneur person. And so he like bought and sold multi-million dollar companies. I mean, he was making like 20 grand a day. I mean, just crazy, crazy money. And so at the time I really wanted to learn from him. And when I was talking to him about my spa, he was like, I think it's so such a waste of time that you are choosing to go into an industry where there are already so many people. I mean, look at Kimber James at Borbaletta, for example. Why is she doing that? Everybody already has an eyelash extension company. Like, it doesn't make any sense. You're not yeah. special. And it really, like, was kind of like a punch, a, a punch in the gut. Like, when he said that to me, because, again, he was somebody who was really, really successful, and I wanted to learn from him. So I was like, And you value oh, his opinion. Exactly. But I just kind of, fortunately, I made a mental note. Like, I had to work through it a little bit. But then I made a mental note that he was obviously not the person to talk to about my dreams and about my goals. And so if I was going to be successful, I needed to look at people who were successful at what it was that I wanted to do. Not look at outside resources, not take advice from people who are failing in the industry or anything like that. And so I just made a note, okay, I'm not going to ever discuss this with him again, but I know what I'm about. I know what I want to do. And like, look at, you know, for example, Borbaletta Beauty is one of the number one eyelash extension companies in the world, even though there were all these other eyelash extension companies out there. And my business was able to grow leaps and bounds and do amazing things. But I guess the point is that you have to look inward. Don't worry about anybody else's opinions. Don't worry about anybody else's experience. You create the life that you want for yourself. Sorry, that was a long rant. No, that was good. <laughs> and, and 100%. And I think that, you know, just to get back to, uh, to mindset, you know, that's something that follows you in every aspect of your life. You know, you will never attract what you detest. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, and it, like for me, I'll just use like my own situation. Like I had a really negative mindset with money when I first started my business. The main thing was because I, you know, I didn't come from poverty by any means. Like I came from, you know, a middle, um, a middle class, like American household. You know, my parents um, worked really, really hard for what they have, but they both, like they did not, they were not rich. Like rich was not a word that you would use to describe my family especially growing up when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And so, like so many people, I grew up hearing things like, well, money doesn't grow on trees. Hmm. Money is hard to make. Money is something that, you know, this, that, and the third. And then also, I would hear things about people who had money. People who have money are greedy. People who have money are scammers. Or people who have money, like, they all they care about is money. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, I didn't even realize it until I became an adult. But I started looking at some of the things that I – thought and I was like okay like you have to change your mindset if you have a scarcity mindset you won't see abundance you have right. to have an abundance mindset right. and for me I had to change you know my thing of like well no money is easy to make you know what I mean like I have a good relationship with money I spend well I save well I am you know responsible with money like I'm going to be able to take care of my family one day which is I think what you know we all ultimately want and be able to help people one day and be able to be generous and and I'm working hard for what I have and I deserve the money that's coming to me mm -hmm. and if you can apply that mindset to everything apply it with clients 
if you have a mindset of, oh, well, I only have, you know, a thousand followers on Instagram, like, I, why would someone want to come to me? They want to come to you because you're a great esthetician and because you went to school and you care about what you're doing and, and just, and because you want to continue to grow. People love in this industry, if I can give you a sales tip to the people listening, people love seeing that you care and that you're trying. It's just, it's, it's innate. It's like a human nature. Like we want to support people who are trying. So you have to change your mindset a little bit. And, and if you go into a service with the idea of like this nervousness, like, Oh, like, you know, she could be going to someone who has 60,000 followers or a hundred thousand followers, or she could be going to someone who has 10 years of experience and I only have six months. Like what is special about me? Or maybe it's the, the you know, the script is slipped. And, you know, maybe you're someone who's been in the industry for 10, 15, 20 years, like a major OG esthetician. And you're like, well, you know, I'm still, you know, maybe, you know, maybe your, your treatments are updated, but they're still great and they still work. And maybe you're feeling, you know, bad because there's all these, you know, young girls who are like doing 10 different treatments and there's all these different, you know, new things. And maybe you're not like um, as great with social media as you'd like to be. Like that doesn't make you any less compared to someone who's like advanced in other areas you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah it's so true I am um, I think that if you if you tell yourself all the time that you're not educated enough in the industry you aren't advanced enough clients are hard to come by you know all those scarcity based thoughts then that is what you will find in your life I love how you said you if you have a scarcity mindset you cannot find abundance so you have yeah, to completely you change your thinking and recognize, hey, I am where I am in my journey in this industry, and I am grateful for where I am. These are all the things that I have to offer. Royal made an excellent point one time. You know, we were talking about new estheticians that are like, oh, but I'm so new, so how am I going to attract you know good clients? Well, use that to your advantage. Hey, yeah, I am new, and my books are open, so I have time for you. Like I can mm-hmm. focus and give you all of the care, all of the attention to detail that you need because I have time in my schedule. So it's just spinning it, whatever your situation is, to make it your advantage so then you can start seeing possibilities as opposed to dead ends. Yeah, I just want to slip this in. I was um so when you come out of the police academy, you get onto the training program. It's called the field training program, and pretty much you get trained for like a year with somebody before they let you go out there and get yourself and get into get into trouble, right. you know, and do, you know, so they have, they have you with somebody that's been on about 15 years or so and they're responsible for you. Mm-hmm. And so they shadow you. They sh- teach you how to do traffic stops. They teach you how to do like getting car chases with like, you know, you deal with your calls, but you have them to look to. And I was about, I've been on like five years now and I was about two years on and a few people, a few of their FTOs, who they'd go out in the field with called off sick. And so they were trying to figure out who to, who who I put these people with that just got out the academy three weeks ago that are brand new. And they put them with me. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm only two years old. Like, what the hell? Like, I know how to work. I'm smart. I'm very, very street smart. Mm -hmm. I'm not so book smart, but I can like, I can read a room. I know my surroundings. Right, me too, me too. Yeah, and I know how to, I know when trouble's coming. I know when to leave. I know everything. And so they put him with me. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm nervous. Okay, whatever. So I took him out. I took him on the day. I was teaching him things. 
testing them with stuff. Um, we we did a few, <laughs> I got them. I actually have a body camera. I got on my body camera. We did a few building searches looking for suspects and stuff, like for a few radio calls. And at the end of the day, they were like, you know what? This is the most I've learned in a three-week period than I've had with my FTL that's been on for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Right, like, yeah. you, you have taught me so much. Mm-hmm. And the, the stuff I was nervous about, like, I was nervous about traffic stops. You, like, sat with me and, like, sh- like showed me how to do it. Mm-hmm. And like really just mm-hmm. taught me, mm-hmm. and so after that, I've had six or seven trainees, and I'm still not a, I'm still not certified as an FDO, but they put them with me because they trust me, mm-hmm. and they know right. I may be young, I may not have the years of experience. But well, see that. See, here's the thing: I have more. I believe I have more experience than a person that's been on for fifteen or twenty years. Some people, because you go out I, and work. I go out and work. And I put myself yeah. in positions and I handle these calls that they're afraid to handle. And so, actually, yeah, fuck that. Now that I'm saying this, years of experience, years, quotes of experience don't mean shit. Just yeah, because honestly. Been, yeah, just because, yeah. yeah, I could tell you right now, Natalie, some of the people that I've talked to in this industry that have been doing it 20 years, you're way ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. It's thank so you true. so much. And. And just to play off what you guys said, and for the listeners as well, like something else, like turn turn this podcast up right now when I say this. It is not how long you have done something. It's how much you've done something. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've been you know, in this industry, if you've been a cop for 20 years, but you maybe work one day a week or two days a week, and you maybe you know, would do you know, just the casual stuff, you aren't going to have as much skin in the game as someone like me who's maybe been in the industry for two years but works six, seven days a week, like 60-plus hours, you know, a week, like mm-hmm. really, really grinding and seeing, like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of clients per month. That's what gives you experience. Experience is not, like, time-based. Experience mm-hmm. is it's something, it's how, like, much you do it. So I, I really agree with you um, on that as well. Yeah, I and, think uh, – oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Lisa. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before we started recording, that as you grow, so as you have experiences, as you work, as you interact with people, you grow, and that opens you up to more experiences and more interaction and more connections, more knowledge, more training. And so it's, you know, just like you said, you could be in this industry for years and years and years. I mean, I've coached, had one-on-one coaching calls with people who have been in the industry for years and they they still struggle to build their clientele. They still struggle to know exactly what services they want to be offering or to figure out exactly what they specialize in. And it's like, okay, but how often are you working and how much effort and attention are you giving this? Because if you're yeah. if you're treating this like a side hustle, then this will always be your side hustle. 100%. And especially when you're first starting out, like you have a nine to five, which is where you see your clients. And then you got a six to 10, which is where you're working on your business. And you're making an yeah. email list. If you don't have the money to get an email list system, freaking get like a address book, write someone's name, write someone's number, write someone's email, and personally send them email messages. If you aren't like tech savvy. Yeah, that's what like my grandmother, great grandmother, mom, like, that's what they all still do. They still have their address books. And they personally text people personally call people to remind them of their appointment. Sometimes, like, I think sometimes we just get caught up in, like, you know, our new age, and we're so used to all, like, the automated, like, scheduling systems and stuff. And, and sometimes if you're just starting out and you're 
solo or if you don't have the money for all that, like just, you know, it, it could be, a, it could be simple, but, but yeah, like just, just to like play off what you said, like that, that's, that's so true. Um, and something that, because I love that you guys have such a different experience with being like in law enforcement too. And like, obviously like Melissa, you've been in the aesthetics industry for a while. Um, but you also like, you guys are also in law enforcement. And I think one thing that the law, like the law enforcement police officers spend a lot of time training on, that's probably the one major thing that estheticians need training on and don't receive de-escalation training. Oh man. De-escalation training, two words, de-escalation training. You have to be a professional de-escalator. You have to be able to take someone who is on a 10 to a two really, really quickly and make it look effortless and make it be professional and respectful. And and it's like, you guys see, like, what you guys are, you guys are police officers, you know, like you pull up to somewhere and the wife is like, oh, I'm going to kill my husband because he cheated on me. And it's like, is it worth it? You know what I mean? Like, like, is it really worth it? Like, sometimes you have to almost have that same mindset with clients. Like, if a client, if you've pissed a client off and like, maybe you've like double booked them or you, you've made a mistake or maybe they are just out of line and they are acting crazy you have to be a professional de-escalator you have to make people realize okay maybe this is a big deal but is it really that big of a deal you know what i mean like is it really worth like going off and like and just really meeting people where they're at and that can save you so much because i mean we all see it like there are some beauty professionals who do not handle things professionally and they react to unprofessionalism with unprofessionalism mm-hmm. and it's just like fire with fire yeah and, and that's how your facebook reviews go to shit so yeah <laughs> but it's the truth like that is how situations like just go bad because you didn't know how to de-escalate and that's honestly not a lot of estheticians fault because we aren't trained in that no we're not royal do you want to yeah i was actually writing well i'm slacking i should be finished with it but i was writing a book called verbal judo so verbal judo is what we use in the police field. That's what we call it. It's pretty much de-escalating. So I don't got to shoot you or I don't got to fight you. I'm going to just use verbal judo and just take you right. from a 10. And so I was actually going to write a book for estheticians. And so I'm oh. slacking on it. I should be done with it by now. <laughs> but Listen, yeah. you should. Yeah. You should. I'll buy it. <laughs> Get it done. But it's, um, because it's so needed. Like it's, mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like, you know, when you're a police officer, like that, that's like the essence of what you do. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. You have to be able to diffuse the situation. Yeah. But we are taught that, you know, like because, like I said, circling back to that apologetic mindset because you're like, oh, you know, this is my client. My client's my boss. How, like how many people have heard that? Oh, my God. Your gosh. clients are your boss. I know. It's, but, it's so true. And that's a mentality that we need to get rid of. Like, yes. The client is technically the one who pays your salary, but it's according to your rules, your spa, your rules. And the client doesn't have the training that you have. The client doesn't have the education. They don't understand the way the skin works, the way that you understand it. And so you can't let the client dictate how things go. And I, in my first job in aesthetics, I um, worked at a medical spa down in Houston and we would have clients buy big laser treatment packages. And they would be living in, you know, Geneva, Switzerland or in Saudi Arabia or whatever. And they would book their appointments to go along with their oils and gas meetings that they had in the States. And so if they came in for an appointment, a lot of times they were flying in from another country. They were having to be very, very specific with their timing. 
And so when wow. they'd come in and I'd find out that they had just had sun exposure or they were on an antibiotic that made them more photosensitive and they were contraindicated for the treatment, people would It was would the be, hugest, biggest deal. Oh, yeah. Life and, was over. Yeah. And, and you were under, horrible. <laughs> well, to some extent, understandably so. I mean, you're, you're banking on being able to get that treatment. And of course, with things like laser hair removal, you have a small window of time. You want to stay on track with your, right. each treatment and stuff. And so people would get so angry and yell. And I, I hadn't had any of my academy training that, that I have now. But at the time, I remember just thinking to myself, okay, they're angry because they don't understand. And so what I need to do is find a way to quickly and effectively educate them so that they don't feel like I'm just trying to pull the rug out from under them, that I'm just trying to ruin their day, but so they can understand that their safety is my top priority. And so I was able to figure out these quick ways to diffuse the situation so that they would leave maybe not happy, but at least understanding and not angry anymore. 100%. You have to learn how to talk to people. And then when I was in the academy, I mean, like I, like I talk about in the book, I would sit in my in my classes and listen to you know de-escalation techniques or how to deal with negotiators and setting boundaries and stuff and I would think oh my gosh I wish I had taken this class way back at the beginning of my aesthetics career which is right. a huge part of why we started Squaw Strong so that we could you know provide these resources to estheticians because we're not taught about how to communicate with people we're not taught how to diffuse situations how to take that person from a ten and bring them back down to a two and still be able to maintain a client relationship with them, you know, if we want to later on down the road. I mean, there's so much that we don't learn about interacting with people that we truly need. Yeah, no, 100%. And just like for like our the listeners, because I really want to give them like some meat in this episode. Let's break down really quickly how to create a plan when a client is upset. Because for me, I think you can break it down into three really easy steps. One, address what the problem was to apologize for any part that you played in the problem Mm -hmm. and three how are you going to make the problem better how are you going to fix it it's and it it varies based off the issue but let's say you know someone is running late because for me i live like right on the edge of like two different time zones central and eastern there's literally a town that's 10 minutes away that's on central time there's literally and i'm on eastern time so appointments get so messed up because of that all the time so if someone is like, like they thought if their appointment was at one Eastern, but for them that was two central and, you know, they missed their appointment and gotten all, you know, messed up and it was an honest mistake. The first thing I say is, I'm so sorry that happened. Fun fact, funny story. When I was a kid, you know, out here running around getting in trouble, I didn't get arrested. But I almost got arrested. And the first thing that the police officer on duty said to me was, I'm so sorry this happened. Like he said to me. I'm so sorry that this had happened. Like this is, you know, this this shouldn't have happened because it was something that was so stupid and it was it put me in danger. It was someone else who, you know, put me in danger and it was all this stuff. And him saying that immediately made me understand that he was just doing his job. And it immediately brought me on this level of like, you know, panic. And I just went through this traumatic experience to, okay, like you have a little bit of fault in this too. This whole thing could have been avoided. It could have, you know, it couldn't have been that big of a deal. And here's what we're going to do to make it better. So you have to kind of flip the script and really, really be logical and be real with people. So as simple as like just starting out like, hey, like, I'm so sorry this happened. All appointments take place, you know, on um, Eastern time. You know, it says that in the confirmation emails and the text messages. I 
so far. We're going to have to reschedule you. Is it okay if we reschedule you this, you know, this day? We're going to try to get you the soonest um, available appointment. Or, you know, if God forbid someone, or maybe you've done something wrong. Like, God forbid, maybe um, you, you know, I'm trying to think of something that estheticians could do. Maybe you accidentally, like, nixed someone with a dermaplane blade or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, and it's nothing big and they, you're maybe they're, like, really freaking out. Like, all, all you can do is, one, address the situation, apologize for any part that you played in it. And not only is their service going to be free, but here's what else I'm going to do to make it better. I'm going to give you this, like, peptide soothing gel that's going to help improve cell turnover and get that cut to go away, like, in two days. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then you can actually save a relationship that way. You Even though you may have done something wrong that, you know uh, – really could make you lose client, there may be a way to save it based on how you react. If that person is cussing you out and going crazy, like don't just stand there and take it, but don't stoop to their level because you have you have to be the bigger person. And that sucks so much. And like people listening to this are just like, oh, I'm not there yet. But you have to get there, especially if you're working with the public. So I, I think that's super important as far as like creating a plan. Just address the problem, apologize for any part you've played in it, and then just uh, just move on, like just you know fix it, D- give them something, or just you know even if like there's like a rescheduling issue because we talk about like cancellation policies a lot. I think it's okay sometimes to maybe do like like a one time like treaty or something like that. But like it's like you do have to you know be stern about it. But but just as far as like creating a plan goes, I think that's a really, really good way to go with those three steps. Yes. I love that. I love that you put together something actionable to share with our audience. Thank you so much for doing that. That was so like well thought out. So we appreciate that. And I, I love, I love everything you said there. I think that even if it isn't your fault, empathizing with the client over the frustration that they're going through is so important because that helps strengthen that client relationship. And they're, maybe they're already feeling vulnerable about coming to an esthetician in the first place. Like they're going to this stranger to talk about their deepest, you know, concern about their physical experience, appearance. And they're, they're not, maybe they're not comfortable. Maybe something awful happened in their personal life that has nothing to do with what is going on in your treatment room at that time, but something little happened and then they're exploding over it. And so if you can kind of help bring them back down to earth and let them know like, Hey, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I understand that this sucks. I'm sorry that this happened. You know, even like you said, if it's, they messed up on their time for their appointment or whatever, but that just helps people recognize like they're not alone. And when you feel like you have somebody on your side, that can kind of help bring you back down to more of a rational state of mind so that you're not just seeing red and acting out. People want other people to feel that they understand. Yes. That's all it is. Road rage incidents, anything. If one person can just acknowledge that they understand, Mm -hmm. they apologize, this happened, then things would, uh, the world would be so much better. Yeah. And I think- empathy that's something that we all just lack so much i know and we need it so much and i love that you number two is like i mean again apologize like when you have done something wrong because we're going back to that going back to that accountability you can't fix it if you if you don't recognize and admit that maybe it was something that was your fault you know, maybe, yeah. and, and see it as a learning opportunity. Don't beat yourself up about it 
like, oh my gosh, if I had done this and this and this, that never would have happened, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, be grateful it happened. So now you can prevent it from happening again in the future. So for example, like maybe you, and I don't know, this is like made up. Maybe you didn't have on your, all of your bookings that it was Eastern time. And then um, something happened, yeah, our client right. got upset, and then you were able to learn, okay, now that I've had this experience, I know moving forward that I need to do a better job of making sure everybody's clear this is Easter time. So we're going to put it on the confirmation email. We're going to put it on the booking site. We're going to put it on the text message, like everything. So recognize that it is okay if you make a mistake, if something goes wrong, as long as you can own it and then learn from it and do better. And I, I also loved how you talked about adding so much extra value, the nicking somebody with the dermaplane example, like, okay, not only am I going to comp this treatment, but I'm also going to give you a product to help it heal faster, um, going above and beyond and letting that client know that you take responsibility for what you do in your spa, that you have respect for your establishment and you want them to be able to continue respecting you as well. And that's not your standard. I think that's also what that says too. Yes. That that is not the standard. That was like you know if that that's never happened to me, but had it did, like that's how I would handle it. And especially for people who are like business owners, kind of switching gears a little bit. If you have people who are beneath you, every single thing that happens is your fault. Yeah. Every single thing that happens is your fault. If one of my employees, you know, shows up late. That's my fault because I didn't set the standard high enough because one day I probably showed up late or like, you know, later than we were supposed to be there. And so that you have to take responsibility in every area of your life. If I, if the esthetician I hire doesn't, you know, does a facial and one of my clients doesn't love it, that's my fault because I obviously didn't make sure that she was comfortable and confident enough in our signature facial and that she could deliver it to the best of her ability. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to take that responsibility, and especially if you are the business owner, because it's your name that's out there. It's what you've worked to build and it's your job. Like it's your job to protect your employees and let them, you know, understand that, okay, yeah, maybe you did something incorrectly, but I'm going to take responsibility for this as well. And this isn't going to happen again. And just take that responsibility. Yes. Oh my gosh. I am so obsessed with what you're saying right now because it is so true. And it's, yeah. it's so human nature again to point fingers and blame somebody else to be able to get ourselves out of the hot seat and to say like, oh, well, you know, your employee is late because they did something, blah, blah. But I love that you're recognizing that in order for your spa to grow, it has to be in your control. And so you can't fix things that are out of your control. And so by taking accountability and recognizing like, okay, I can control this situation from happening again by doing better in this way. That just says so much about the growth mindset that you have and about how you aren't afraid of admitting when you've made a mistake, because that's the only way we can grow. If you recognize that you're doing something wrong or it could be done better, that's when you have the chance to improve. But if you keep saying, oh, it's everybody else's fault, it has nothing to do with me, then you are going to stay at exactly the spot that you're in and you're not going to experience sustainable expansion at all. 100%. And it's kind of like if any of you guys have ever watched that older, like, Gordon Ramsay show he used to have where he would, like, go in and, like, basically, like, help save people's, like, dying, horrible, disgusting restaurants. Yes. Mm -hmm. And every single episode, he would interview the owner. He was like, so what's the problem with your restaurant? You know what the first thing they all said? The staff. 
Yeah. When he went and interviewed the staff, like 20, 30, 40 people, the first thing they said is the owner. And he would always rip into the owner the hardest and always make them take responsibility. And when I tell y'all, 2025, maybe I'll have like, or me and Melissa will have a show like that where we could go into yes. people's spas and just be like, this is your fault. Yes. It's all your fault. You know what I mean? Like, we need that, especially for people who own the business. Because so many estheticians who are fresh out of school or, you know, who are just estheticians and they've been in the industry for, you know, a while. They don't leave jobs. They leave managers. That's mm-hmm. the business in general. That's the basic. People don't leave businesses. They leave managers. And yeah. that's why, especially if you are listening to this and you are a med spa owner or you are a salon owner or you, you know, are, you know, trans like me, like you're transitioning from being a solo esthetician to becoming a business owner and having a storefront, you have to take responsibility. This isn't just about you anymore. There's people beneath you that you're taking care of and they're, their income and their career is now hugely on your shoulders and you have to take responsibility for things. And that's the only way, in my opinion, that businesses can run without chaos. Oh my gosh. I'm sitting here. Okay. Um, I'm writing down some of your quotes that are gold yes. and I'm like, I'm going to have to make some of these graphics of Natalie's, Natalie's golden quotes here because you are just saying such great things. I love what you said. People don't leave jobs. They leave managers. Like that is so yes. true. And I, as soon as you said, it, I started thinking back to pretty much every job that I've left. And I'm like, unless there was a circumstance where, I mean, the only reason why I left my job in Houston was because I decided to go back and finish my undergraduate degree, but I never would have left that manager. Every job I've left has been yeah. because of management pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. which, which is frustrating because I've left some great jobs that I've absolutely Maybe I loved my coworkers. Maybe I loved what I was doing. But if I, you know, at whatever stage I was in my life, if I couldn't figure out how to navigate that managerial situation, then I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to go find something else. And so if you want to hold on to your excellent employees, then you need to be an accountable manager. You need to treat them like they're excellent employees, empower them, let them know that you know, you trust them, that they're prepared to handle whatever situation. I mean, uh, you just hit the nail on the head. I think it's so important. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the most important thing is making sure that they are safe. 